Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, as we do each week, we ask you now to come and be here with us, and we trust that you have kept your promise and that you are here in our midst. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Does anyone here know what the phrase, to pay through the nose, means? You've all heard this phrase, to uh, pay through the nose, just means that something is sort of so much more expensive than you thought it was that it actually, in a sense, causes you pain to have to do it. And you say, gosh, that auto mechanic really made me pay through the nose for that one. But what I really wonder is if anybody here knows where the phrase to pay through the nose came from. Don't see any smiling faces now. And of course, it's much more difficult to know where a phrase came from than to just know what it means, but you're in luck. I actually do know where the phrase to pay through the nose came from. It actually originated in Victorian England around the use of handkerchiefs because fancy gentlemen would have a fancy handkerchief that would be um, constructed of a very nice material would be emblazoned with their name or their initials or even their family crest. It was sort of a, a sign of their uh, well-offness. Um, but occasionally, when they were out shopping and came across a product or a service that they wanted but didn't have enough pocket money to afford, they would leave their handkerchief with the merchant because it had their family name, their crest on it, and it was sort of an IOU or um, a uh, piece of collateral that until they returned with the rest of the money, they would leave their handkerchief with the merchant. Now, of course, this would leave them, at least for a time, without a handkerchief. And so their nose would pay the price, right? Voila, to pay through the nose. That sounds good too, right? Of course, as my wife probably already knows, even though she hasn't heard this sermon or anything, there's one tiny problem with that explanation. It's complete and utter baloney. I just made it up. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I can't stand having to say, I don't know. If somebody were to say, where does the phrase to pay through the nose originate? Or where does the phrase to pull one's leg come from? I just am constitutionally incapable of saying, I don't know. I will make up an answer. (laughs) And I'm pretty good at it. You all bought that, right? You were with me. There's a great song, well, I don't know if it's a great song, but there's a great singer, songwriter, named, um, named, named, see, this is a special curse of the stutter, is that I did the same thing at 8 o'clock, and I've been thinking for two hours about (laughs) how I hoped it wouldn't happen again, and here I am. Ben Folds is the man's name. (laughs) 
See, I trick myself. I just say it quickly. And there you go. Ben Folds has a song on his album, Songs for Silverman. I can't actually tell you the name of the song because it's not appropriate for polite company or for you either. Um, <laughs> let's just say that it's a song that might as well be about a man who is not sure who his father is. Let's just leave it at that. But the chorus of this song is what I want to share with you this morning because he sings, why you got to act like you know when you don't know? It's okay if you don't know everything. Why you got to act like you know when you don't know? It's okay if you don't know everything. When I first heard this song, these lyrics so described me. I felt so critiqued by them, so judged, that I wanted to turn off the song immediately. Why you gotta act like you know when you don't know? It's okay if you don't know everything. These words crushed me, and I realized all of a sudden that I'm even worse than the know-it-alls that I hate so much, because I don't even know. I'm just pretending to know when I actually know very little. See, the best thing is to know a lot and be so secure in that that you don't need to show it off all the time. I'd like to meet somebody like that one day. That's the standard that I'm trying to live up to, but I want you to think that I know a lot, and so I pretend. The law of my life is thou shalt be wise. And tragically, of course, our reading from Ephesians this morning just backs up this feeling. It judges me just as harshly as that song, even though it's coming at this idea of wisdom from the complete opposite side. See, Unfold says, it's okay if you don't know everything. Why do you always got to act like you know when you don't? But Ephesians says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, for the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So hear this song. Why you got to act like you know when you don't know? Well, Ben, it's because I'm trying to be wise. I want the people in my life to think that I know stuff. You say it's okay to not know everything, but Ephesians is saying the opposite. Be wise. So I'm trapped. Whichever way I turn, thou shalt not be foolish. Thou shalt be wise. And thou shalt certainly not pretend. But I want to suggest to you this morning that Ben Folds and Ephesians are not actually at odds with each other like they might seem to be. In fact, I'm going to use Ben Folds to interpret this difficult piece of scripture, difficult at least for me, asking us to live not as unwise people, but as wise. Because at first glance, this is just sort of part number 843 of our infinity part series Things the Bible asks me to do that I just can't do. I do not live as unwise, do not live as an unwise person, but as a wise one. Honor your father and mother. Turn the other cheek. 
Love your enemies. Be wise. It's commands like these. It's standards like these that lead me to start pretending, that lead me to act as if, that leads me to make up a story about where pay through the nose comes from. By the way, it it turns out that to pay through the nose is actually originating uh, from a Viking practice of, um, and this is not made up, of at least Google is claiming that this is true, a Viking practice of when somebody didn't pay a tax, they would um, slice their face from the tip of their nose to between their eyebrows. So um, you're welcome for that image. Um, (laughs) Sweet dreams tonight. But back to pretending, because pretending is what we do. We are professional pretenders. When we come up against standards that are too high for us, when something is asked of us that we feel like is just too much, we pretend. We act like we're honoring our father and our mother while what we're really doing is checking that Sunday afternoon phone call off the obedient son list and hoping that the next time they come to visit, they'll stay in a hotel. We act like we're turning the other cheek, while what we're really doing is envisioning an elaborate revenge plot in our head that ends with our enemies being publicly humiliated. And we act like we're wise while what we're really doing is just inventing stuff out of thin air so that other people might be fooled. We Christians are great pretenders. We've got it down to a science. We act as if we got it all together. But so much of the time, we're just pretending. Unfortunately, Ephesians doesn't seem to leave any room for pretenders. There's no wiggle room here. Be careful then how you live not as unwise people but as wise, period. And then that truly terrifying sentence. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, if any among us thought they were wise, you know, a truly advanced Christian, high on the mountaintop of Christian understanding, this line should cut us all down to size. Understand what the will of the Lord is. If only. But wait. Perhaps, maybe, we're reading this all wrong. Maybe, just maybe, this sentence, be wise, not unwise, isn't the terrifying judgment that it seems to be on its face. And to help us get to the bottom of what this command in Ephesians, do not live as unwise people but as wise, is getting at, I want to look at a sentence that actually shows up a couple different times in Scripture. It was in our psalm that you heard our choir sing so beautifully. It's in Psalm 111. It's also in two different Proverbs. That's how important it is. This sentence is repeated multiple times in Scripture, and it's the key to understanding the kind of wisdom that is required of us. 
Here's the sentence. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let me say it another way. The first step is admitting that you have a problem. Alcoholics Anonymous says it like this. We admitted we were powerless over our addiction, that our lives had become unmanageable. This is, these three sentences are all saying the exact same thing, that wisdom, true wisdom, begins when our eyes are opened to the truth about ourselves, our problems, our powerlessness, our sin. When you regard a holy, righteous, and perfect God and realize that you are just as unholy, unrighteous, and imperfect as he is holy, righteous, and perfect, and that by all rights that holy, righteous, and perfect Lord should not want to have anything to do with you, if not destroy you, this is the beginning of wisdom. This fear of a holy God. When Peter met Jesus on the beach and said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. When Isaiah had a vision of Almighty God sitting in his throne room and said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Wisdom begins when we acknowledge the vast difference the chasm between who we ought to be, who we wish we were, and who we actually know ourselves to be. We are the ones who have fallen short of all the standards in our lives, be they ours, be they society, be they God's. We are the ones who have broken his holy laws. So what recourse do we have is all lost? Well, when the prodigal son's eyes are opened and he realizes that he's eating with the pigs and comes face to face with the depths of his depravity, does his father refuse to welcome him home? Does Jesus depart from Peter, even though that's exactly what Peter asks him to do? Does Isaiah get struck dead for beholding the glory of Almighty God. No, no, and no. When the prodigal returns home ready to work as a servant in his father's house, he finds his father waiting for him, running to him with open arms and a giant party. When Peter, knowing himself to be a sinner, asks Jesus to go away, Jesus tells Peter to have no fear and then makes him the rock upon which he founds his church. And when Isaiah is sure that he'll be struck dead for his unrighteousness, an angel tells him, your guilt has been taken away and your sin atoned for. This is the God we worship. 
A God whose redemption overcomes his judgment. A God whose mercy always trumps his law. And so when Ephesians asks us to be wise, to live not as unwise people, but as wise, it is asking us simply to know ourselves. To see ourselves as prodigal sons, as sinful fishermen, as terrified prophets in the throne room of God. To understand that true wisdom is in acknowledging our foolishness. Live as unwise people. Live not as unwise people, but as wise. Stop telling yourself that your best efforts are good enough for God. Live not as unwise people, but as wise. Stop pretending that you don't have problems that are serious enough to require a savior. Live not as unwise people, but as wise. Stop trying to climb the Christian ladder of good works and correct ideas to get up to God. Live not as unwise people, but as wise. Acknowledge the good news of the gospel. That your problems and mine are so profound that God had to cross that chasm from righteousness to unrighteousness, from perfection to imperfection. Jesus came to us and offered himself for us, dying in our place. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In our foolishness, Jesus gave himself up for us. I have great news. Ben Folds was right all along. It really is okay if you don't know everything. In fact, you only need to know one thing. That Jesus Christ came for foolish sinners like you and me. Amen.